0: and welcome to episode 224 of the Mark and Me podcast. As always, I'm your host Mark. Now joining me on today's episode is a returning guest. They've been on this podcast twice before. First time round to talk about their film career to date, what inspired them, and all the sort of things that you'd normally get from a normal episode of Mark and Me. He then came back and talked all about his last film, The Reckoning, But this time round, we're purely focusing on the absolute horror masterpiece, the amazing Dog Soldiers. Neil Marshall is back and I'm so thrilled because on this episode, we get to share our love of horror. We get to talk all about this amazing new release by Second Sight, which for me is the release of the year. They put their heart and soul into each and every release that they do and it's incredible to see the transfer they've done for this 4K release, the special features, the box set itself, the artwork and all the design that goes in. They really are the best out there right now and this for me is the release of the year. It's so good! That interview with me and Neil will be coming up in just a couple of moments time. But I use the intro and every intro of Mark and me to touch base and talk about the last episode. I was lucky enough to be joined by the WWE superstar, Sheamus. We got to talk all about the UK pay-per-view Clash at the Castle, which was held in Cardiff. I was lucky enough to attend this at the weekend, and it was amazing. And seriously, if you look at the reviews online, Sheamus's fight was up there as one of the best fights of the night, and his fight with Gunther was unbelievable. And the response to the episode was fantastic, so thanks everyone for tuning in and supporting Mark and me. But today, like I said, it's Neil Marshall, one of the best directors out there, who gave us the incredible The Descent and the amazing Dog Soldiers. And this episode is all about Dog Soldiers. So any fans of that film, which is 20 years old now, is going to be absolutely in heaven with this interview because it's all about it. So I think the best thing to do is to get straight to it. So here's me and Neil talking all things Dog Soldiers. This is the third time you've been on Mark and Me. You're now uh, in the lead with um, Neil Blonkamp. Oh, nice. He's Two Neil's Three times. Okay. So, yeah, it's a good thing. Um, so, Neil, thanks for joining me yet again on the Mark and Me podcast. It's a pleasure to be here. And Neil, how's it going from Fright Fest at the weekend? I bet you're exhausted from watching films and meeting fans and just living horror for the last couple of days.
1: Uh, it is a little bit exhausting. I didn't get to do, like, the full fight for Fright Fest experience this time because time, time, yeah, I know I live in Kent yeah and um and so it was just a bit more of a hassle to sort of get into town every single day and spend all day there and stuff like that. but i did go in what was i in thursday friday sunday and monday so not too bad and uh yeah it was a great experience great to see the fans again just great to be back it's been like i'm trying to work it out it's been somewhere between eight to ten years since i've been back there
0: my lord i didn't realize it'd been that long
1: well, the last time I was there, it was still the the original Empire Leicester Square, the big one. Yeah, uh, before they chopped it up.
0: <laughs> Why do they do these things?
1: I know it's such a shame, and it's it's it's. Uh, I mean, you know, they're they're great screens and all that kind of stuff, but that community of having everybody there in one screen was just amazing. And I don't know that there's any giant auditoriums in in London anymore.
0: No, uh, I can't think of it. The audience
1: one. gone as well. That's been chopped up. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of strange that there aren't any of the big auditoriums for, for movies.
0: What I want to do today is obviously focus the interview on Dog Soldiers and I've been lucky enough to own now the brand new, I can't believe it's been 20 years, but Second Sight I think have done an absolute marvellous job of the transfer. They've put this package together, the artwork and everything. How does it feel to actually finally have it? Because I know there's some delays and it wasn't easy getting the master prints and stuff, but now we finally have it looking in it's, I think, the best it's ever looked. It's it's.
1: It's been about as much of a journey getting this done as it was getting the film made in the first place, you know, because that <laughs> took that took six years from script to screen. And it feels like it's taken about six years to finally get this the version that the audience and the fans deserve. Um and it's been through various kind of iterations along the way. Um and the trick really came down to finally recovering the negative. Um, because back back when Shout Factory approached me about doing a Blu-ray of the movie uh that must have been about six years ago i think it was and we went looking for the the, the 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 original negs um and we couldn't find them anywhere they were gone so they ended up having to use a 35 mil print that i got from pathay um that they happened to have a pristine un, unused print and so I, well actually they had two and i just snapped them up straight away i was like i i bought them straight away just to have them and um and and the and shout factory used that as their as their kind of master, so it was it was good, but it wasn't as good as it should be. And um, and then the quest went on to try and find the negative. And I know uh, Christopher Vigg, the the producer and um, second sight, you know, of, of just they managed to locate it. I don't know where it was hidden in some secret bunker somewhere or <laughs> tomb, uh, but they found it, and that enabled them to do this, you know, beautiful beautiful restoration.
0: That's amazing. It's it's crazy, isn't it? Because normally they're like archived in these big studios or in these big warehouses, but it just seems like this mission to find it. That's
1: the scary. That's the scary part. Like if it's a studio movie, they do have their archival systems in place. Yeah, and um, you know it's it's great for them. But if you're a little independent film, um, you know you're kind of blatantly trusting on the lab because uh, they're the only people that keep the eggs like there is no archive for little films like that so if it gets lost it's lost forever and that's scary it is
0: 20 I mean, years no, ago thankfully
1: like we have the 4k so you know it's yeah preserved in that in that sense
0: and it looks crystal clear I, I was never when first they announced 4k i was like i'm not buying my whole collection again i've done it for you know vhs then dvd then blu-ray i know uh, but i've but already been sucked it. in yeah I've it. <laughs> so we ended up doing it uh <laughs> no i mean because it looks astonishing and
1: it, it kind of looks better than it looked when we first released it in a way because it didn't it hasn't gone through the chemical process to get projected now it's like when you see it and it's 4k it's like literally just it's
0: the negative flipped I still can't believe it's 20 years and when you went into making this film I know it's obviously a long time ago but can you remember those kind of influences that you had I know you're obviously a huge horror fan you've made some of the best British horrors I think that have ever been out there but what was it at that time that inspired you I know there's obviously stuff like um, American Werewolf in London and stuff like that but was, was there certain films that you were inspired by that made you then want to have your own take on a werewolf genre? Um, it was a combination of
1: all sorts of films and all sorts of genres as well. It wasn't just horror. I mean, certain, obviously werewolf movies were, were, you know, primary inspirations, but there was also like war movies and things like Zulu and things like that were massive inspirations. So there was also Westerns like Rio Bravo and then Assault on Precinct 13, which is kind of a riff on Rio Bravo anyway. So it's like those kind of siege movies. And then things like Aliens, which had been, you know, sort of the first film to sort of combine the military with, you know, creatures in in such an effective way. Um, You know, so so we're certainly tapping into a lot of stuff. There's references to the Wild Bunch, there's references to all sorts of stuff in there, the Searchers, um,
0: definitely a lot of Westerns. And wasn't your father and grandfather in the military? So you were influenced by that as well. Obviously, that's had a big impact on. Yeah, your life. Well, I
1: think I think that definitely played a huge part in it. My granddad served in the Battle of the Somme. Um, I, I never actually got to meet him; he died before I was born. Um, but I heard stories about him from my dad, and then my dad had also served in the army just after the Second World War and the occupation of Austria. Um, you know, kind of third man sort of sort of territory. And um, he was telling me all, you know, I grew up on his stories about his experiences out there. And, and most of those stories seemed to be very humorous stories. There was a kind of a comic, dark comic edge to them. I mean, for example, one of them was, he always used to tell me how the, the British squaddies used to go down and throw snowballs at the Russian sentries, but the Russian sentries used to shoot back. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Stop but, throwing snowballs. Yeah. But like, I just thought that this was like it, it, you know was such such a, such a thing about characters and and you know national characters and such like and then but it was also like it was told with humor like you know they were shooting at us but it was funny <laughs> so um I like that kind of gallows humor and I think that definitely kind of rubbed off and was very much part of part of dog soldiers um and I'd also like I'd seen a lot of films that depicted like british soldiers in a fairly negative way um and I kind of wanted to do an authentic depiction of as, as authentic as possible of British soldiers, like I'd seen, uh, you know, Twenty Eight Days Later come out a couple of uh, years earlier, or a year earlier, or something like that, and and that kind of depicts British squaddies as in a f- really negative way. Yeah, uh, that they're all completely lost their minds within you know a month um, was I thought yeah was not only unflattering but unrealistic. Um, so I I,
0: I felt necessary to kind of you know do do them uh, respect you you know. Definitely. And when I, when I watched the film again this week, obviously, it must have been about three or four years since I've seen it with the second site release. I was sitting there thinking to myself how it doesn't look 20 years old. And I think this is because, like John Carpenter, you are heavily using the practical effects, which I love. And I think, you know, all my favourite films are practical effects. And I know there's not much CGI. And that's obviously a conscious choice by you. And is that because you wanted it to look so it wouldn't date and you could do these effects that just look real on the films that you've all mentioned today that have inspired this. They're all relying on the heavy use of practical effects.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's partly that. I, I I didn't necessarily think it was it because it wasn't going to date because it never occurred to me then that, like, 20 years later, people would even still be watching the film. So, yeah, um, you know, it's amazing that they are and it's amazing that it does look like it hasn't dated. But it is true that, like, you know, my favourite films... Growing up, my favorite horror films pretty much all had, you know, really great practical effects in from The Thing to American Werewolf and the Howling and such like. And and I think they've aged really well. Whereas at, at that time, you know, CGI was still in its infancy in a way. And and the closest comparison, I guess, would be something like American Werewolf in Paris, which tried to go the CGI route and dated, you know, terribly. Yeah. Um, and, and and always was going to date terribly. It's like, whereas American World in London made, you know, 10 years, 20 years earlier than that, hasn't dated at all because it still looks as real as it ever did. Um, so I, I definitely wanted to apply all those principles to it. And I just think it's better on set. It's better for the cast. It's just like better all around if you can do, you know, guys in suits or, or whatever it is, or, or animatronics or something like that. That's just real and, and practical and there and
0: slimy and disgusting. and And, you know, nothing comes close to reality. No, definitely. And what do you think it is the secret for the endurance of this film? Because like you said, you never expected people still to be talking about it or never mind watching it 20 years later. But you've just sold out a screen in London showing this the second site release on my instagram and twitter right now everyone i know that loves horror has bought this so it seems know, that it's, everyone it's, has this huge it's like cakes yeah
1: um it just it just it, it's got a real affection people have a real affection for it and i think as you say it's kind of ageless in that you know we did an orchestral score for it and things like that. we didn't put like contemporary music on it at the time which would have dated it um there's nothing about it that says when it's shot or when it was set really um beyond maybe like types of weapons the soldiers use but i think they're still using the same weapons now so really that doesn't make it much at all so there's all of those factors but i think it's to do do with the characters everybody just loves those characters and wants to spend time with them and uh and and pass that on to new generations of people you know because it was always designed to be like the ultimate like post pub movie of like you go to the pub you come back with your mates and you stick this on and it like it hits all the right buttons, you know, it's got the action and the, the violence, but it's got humor and laughs. And it talks about football and all that kind of stuff that, uh, you know, I intended it to be that kind of audience. And I think that first of all, that audience loved it at the time, but now they've passed it onto their, their, their sons and such like who are coming back from their pub and their sons and their daughters or whatever um, to, to watch now. And, and, and it also hit really big with the squaddies themselves. As I'd heard, a fantastic rumor at the time that it was like the most watched movie in Iraq by the oh, British wow. uh and I always like was like I want to watch it with a bunch of squadies. I think I'd be hilarious, uh, but I never got to. But yeah, I heard that like the you know the British Army like really love it as well because it's it kind of shows them in an honest light, you know.
0: And werewolf movies, I think, are so hard to get right. Uh, very few stand above and really shine out. And we've mentioned a few today, but there's not many. Why is it? Do you think Dog Saw just stands out as just a classic werewolf film do you think it is the practical effects do you think it's the the casting
1: it's little, yeah it's a little bit of everything it's definitely the characters and the casting it's definitely the practical effects but i think it's also because we try to do something with the werewolf myth yeah like it wasn't about the curse of the werewolf it wasn't about somebody becoming a werewolf you know as so many werewolf movies are um and it was this idea of like that you know the werewolves are out there and we're in here and we're fighting werewolves as opposed to monsters of an some other kind but werewolf films are few and far between because the werewolves themselves are, are are tricky. I mean, with vampires, you know, you stick some teeth in, you got a vampire. <laughs> it's so um, true, you know, <laughs> you know, zombies and stuff are a hell of a lot easier to do than a werewolf, yeah. Um, unless you know, well, even if you do do CGI, it's still really complicated to make it look good. Um, and if you go the practical route, you've got to build a werewolf, which isn't easy, so you know, and and not you know, for even for hours, it like it took up a big chunk of the budget, so um yeah that's that's the thing it's like why there's a lot less werewolves movies than there are like vampire movies and zombie movies
0: and i was listening to the audio commentary and you were on there saying that when there's a scene with megan and she cuts the hand uh on a sheet of glass Mm -hmm. and at that point when you recorded this you were saying that that could have set up a sequel all about the werewolf dna um this is on my original DVD I had back in the day. and so that was
1: a that was very drunken commentary, wasn't
0: it? <laughs> yes, but um, it was great to listen to it again and hear how this story was about. And I've seen, obviously, over the last sort of 10 years, every interview people are asking you about a sequel. But mm-hmm. is it any closer to actually happening? Because I've seen you on record saying it'll never happen and it's pretty much burnt out. But the last time I spoke to you, you said, well, watch this space. And here we are six months later.
1: Uh, we're, well, we're we're closer than we were six months ago that's always good uh, no it's it's i mean it's uh, it's more of a possibility because various things have like changed and various things have fallen into place and stuff like that but it's it's closer to happening now than than it has been for a while but uh there's still no there are no certainties i'll know it's happening when when i'm at the premiere yeah you know? <laughs> that's what i always said about the first one and i think it was, i can't remember which director it was who said like yeah you know, you know it's real when you show up at the premiere um you know these things are so fragile up until that kind of point and so um i don't know well i can only say i i, I wish i could tell you something otherwise but um i know that that you know as far as i'm concerned is i'm open to doing one now and yeah. I, there was many years when i was just like you know if, if it's not going to be done right i don't want to do it at all um but you know I've, I've spoken to a few people and i'm i'm open to doing it we'll just have to wait and see if it, if it manages to come together or not um you know, it's it's a complex. It's 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 way more complex than it might seem on on the surface. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, we'll see. We should.
0: Wouldn't see. it be good to get all those old guys back together, though, and just? Oh, well, God, they I can't because just... they're all dead. <laughs> <laughs> you can do flashbacks. You've got to have flashback scenes. We need some of those casts back in there. It, yeah, be, yeah. I don't know how. I just, just
1: don't know how you do it. Like somehow, how do you capture the old magic when we killed them all?
0: Yeah. Uh, you know, we, okay, flashback so. scenes are always the best way. Or they just wake up and do like a um what was that like soap opera? Was it like Dallas or something? Just oh wake Dallas, up yeah. Yeah, do that. Get absolutely criticized. It was all a dream. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and it's, so it's, it's it's kind of a thing of like, you know, part of me you're like saying, Well, I'd love to do a sequel. The other part is like saying I'm scared to do a sequel because it's a tough act to follow. Yeah. So if it ended up being anything, it's gotta not only be as good as it's kinda of gotta be better than the first one somehow if that's even possible and so therefore you know am, am i setting myself up for um you know for a fall
0: by like even attempting it but I'm, I'm game at the moment so we'll we'll see how it goes that's good and the thing is at the moment i think horror has never been so dominant in the kind of film industry i think everybody now i remember when i was growing up no one talked about horror horror is that kind of oh why do you watch those rubbish films like nightmare on elm street and child's play but now it's like the biggest thing everyone i know is absolutely obsessed so it does seem like there would be a huge audience out there waiting for this
1: uh well given by the amount of people who keep on asking me about it i'd say yeah there's there's definitely a good audience out there for it for sure um but yeah, horror horror just is in the zeitgeist, um, and has been for quite some time. Um, people just can't get enough of it, which is great, which helps you know me get films made that's going to have scary monsters in it.
0: And last week, you were obviously releasing at the Fright Fest your brand new film, The Lair, and I've seen a lot of good response online. I've I haven't seen the film myself yet, but are you really looking forward to that release coming out? Uh, yeah, I'm
1: still not 100% certain when it's coming out, but um, uh, I know it's it's going to be theatrical in the US. I'm not sure about the UK. Yeah, um, but yeah, I'm really really happy with it. I just set out to make a really fun movie that doesn't take itself too seriously because I thought my previous one maybe took itself a little bit too seriously. So um, I just wanted to have fun with this one and do a good old fashioned monster movie and um, tie in some elements of things like Dog Soldiers and Descent, and then just bring a bring a new spin to it all.
0: And what have you got lined up at the moment? Are you still filming another brand new film? Is that reviewing Charlotte? Is that I've, happening at the moment? Yeah, no, we
1: just wrapped. uh weekend before last. We wrapped on Duchess, which is uh, our gangster movie, our, our violent gangster movie. Do you ever sleep? When do you stop working? Uh, <laughs> I'll sleep when I'm dead. Um, yeah. I love working. I love doing what I do. So I'm um, yeah right now, and and I'm you know feeling really chuffed that I'm getting to make movies and stuff. That because it was kind of a dry period where I was working in TV and I couldn't get movies made, uh, and then I made the mistake of doing the Hellboy movie, um, and and that kind of backfired and just was not very good. And so um, it's now it's like the chance to make little indie films again back in the UK and work with the people I want to work with and have creative freedom to do that is like it's it's gold dust and I love it. Um, So I'm just I'm happy to be making
0: movies. And if I can make one a year, I'll be very, very, you know, chuffed. Has Hellboy kind of put you off doing the big studio thing now? So if these big people come along and executives that want to get involved in the writing and direct you and tell you what you can do and what you can't do, does that make you just think, do you know what? I'd rather just be in control, doing a smaller budget with people I know and love and I'm in control. Pretty much, I mean, as a, as a as a just as a creative experience, the, the difference between
1: say Hellboy and The Reckoning, where like Hellboy, I had fifty million dollars and no no creative control whatsoever, and then on The Reckoning, I had like two and a half million dollars and one hundred percent creative control. And although they were both very very difficult in their own rights, uh, The Reckoning was just vastly more satisfying and just left me feeling so much better at the end of it, despite all the adversities in getting it made. Like, you know, on a tight schedule and a tight budget, but it was, you know, I felt like I'd created something to be proud of and the same with the lair and the same with Duchess. It's like, it's a, it's a different kind of feeling if you're going to, cause, cause you're also like a movie takes up like a year of your life and I just turned 52 this year. So I'm like thinking these years are precious and I don't want to spend them doing stuff. I don't really love. Um, I don't want to spend them, you know, on things for other people. I want to do it for me, and for the audience, and for the fans. Um, so that's kind of my thinking at the moment. I mean, if if the Broccoli's come knocking and saying, would you like to do a James Bond movie? I am there. Yes, but, you heard it uh, here
0: I, first. You are ready to do the next Bond film.
1: I uh, will do the next Bond movie. I'll come in back in and reinvent the franchise. Um, uh, somehow I, I, don't, I don't see that happening, but uh, for them, I'd make an exception, but but otherwise, it's like, I, I don't know if I'd w- want to get in. I don't know. It may be different on a different studio or something like that. I mean, yeah. you know, I worked with like not a studio as such, but I worked with HBO on Game of Thrones. Yeah. And, and they, they were fantastic. That whole setup was amazing. And it was very director friendly and very, you know, they they wanted ideas and wanted creative input. And that was wonderful. But working with, with the Hellboy team or whatever was just awful. Um, so it, it's hard to say, but I, I think, you know, I, you hear all the stories about studio interference and stuff like that. And I just think I'm, I'm too old for that shit. No, no, it's like, I was in my twenties or something and like nothing to lose. Be like, yeah, fine. You can tolerate that. But like, I can't be arsed now. <laughs> like,
0: so, my, my very final question, and you know the score by now, I always ask the guest to choose the final piece of music that's played. Um, I think Charlotte picked it on the last episode, but prior to that you picked it. But what would you love to be the outro piece of music today? Like, you know, it can be any band, any song, something that means a lot to you, but I just feel it's always great to make the episode a bit more personal. So what would you love for today's choice?
1: Uh, well, I'm a huge fan
0: of um, The Cure. Ugh, I've got tickets to see them in November. I can't wait. Ooh uh i would like um burn by the cure what a tune i love it it's a fantastic song amazing uh, i can see that you're ready for your next one so i'm going to go now i just want to say a massive thank you for your time again it's been great to see you and hopefully we'll uh, be talking about the sequel to dog soldiers next time you're on that'd be great that'd be Brilliant. great All thank right. you thanks for your time Cheers. so there it is there's my interview with me and the amazing neil marshall As you heard, we focused purely on the amazing Dog Soldiers today. It's an incredible film, and if you haven't seen it, please go and check it out. There's no better time to go and buy this, thanks to the amazing Second Sight. As I said at the start of today's episode, it's just come out. A 4K, beautiful box set, and it's worth every single penny. They don't pay me to say this, I absolutely love the company and everything they do. And this is just a dream for any horror fan. If you've enjoyed today's episode, all I ever ask is that you share it. On markandme.com, there's links to Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. It doesn't cost you anything to listen to this episode, and all I ask in return is you to retweet it if you see it on Twitter, maybe put it on your stories or your main feed on Instagram, or share it if you see it on Facebook. You have no idea how much of an impact that can help for Mark and me. You might just have a random friend on your list that loves horror who sees that because you've retweeted it or shared it and suddenly checks out the podcast and then stays for the long run. And that is the best marketing I can do. I'm a one-man team. I don't have budget to go out there and pay for these marketing teams and all these producers and engineers. It's all down to me. So you might think just hitting retweet isn't a big deal. It's absolutely huge. And if you've really enjoyed today's episode, why not support me on Patreon? Each and every month, thanks to my amazing friends at Richer Sounds, I have some fantastic prizes to give away. Not only that, you'll get a set of badges and stickers as soon as you sign up, which are exclusive just to people on my Patreon. I'm going to launch this month Patreon-only episodes as well. I'm going to provide more backstage and behind-the-scenes videos, and so, so much more is coming your way. So if you really have enjoyed today's episode, for as little as £1 a month, you're getting at least 8 episodes. Why not jump on the link, give me that little bit of money and see just how far I can take this. I'll be back in only a few days time with a brand new episode. So until then, look after yourself, take care, watch Dog Soldiers and I'll speak to you all very soon.